We're testing it up. Here we go. I'm clapping as if we have to match audio to video, but we don't because it's just me in my closet. Yeah. Welcome to Jaded episode 17. I'm in my closet. I'm deep in my prints. You know, I'm really OCD. I talk about it all the time, but I'm really, really OCD. Like people's biggest fear is that they'll get murdered in their homes. And my biggest fear is that I'll get murdered in my home. The one time I didn't clean up and then people come in and go, oh, dishes in the sink and a dead body. No, thanks. Hey, jaded, jaded, like you anticipated. Hey, haters gonna hate it. And yeah, it's X-rated. Let my words get you faded. So I can guarantee you that while it's annoying to be my friend and that I'm so OCD, if I stay at your house, I will leave it as if I murdered someone in it. No DNA present. (laughs) Hey guys, what's up? How you doing? Um, You know, I've been on the road like crazy and getting everything going for this musical. When this comes out on Monday, I will be taping my musical on Thursday, July 1st at Jam in the Van. So if you're listening and you're in LA and you haven't bought a ticket, you better do it. You better fucking do it. The other day they were like, you've sold a whopping four tickets. And I was like, kill me. And you know, people don't know that's really the hardest part. You know, the creative part is incredible. I mean, I'm getting to go up on stage and talk about my vagina into a mic. I mean, hello, that's my dream. That's my dream job. Nothing feels better than when you hold a mic and tell jokes and you see people laughing and nothing feels better. My God, the validation, the uproar, but the business side of it is a bitch. It's a fucking bitch, man. Trying to get people to come see your shows, trying to sell tickets to shows. And now everything's open, you know, and there's so much stuff going on. So it's fucking hard, man. So if you are in LA, please come support this musical idea. It's something I've wanted to do my entire life. And I've never had the courage or the balls to do it until now. I finally got a little confidence. Look at that, you guys. And it's thanks to you and a lot of therapy, but thanks to you as well. Um, my very first musical I was ever in was the year that I moved to America and it was a dare production. Have I told you guys this? I can never remember. It was called Pinocchio. Don't smoke that cigarette. And it was... <laughs> It was a play that we did and I really wanted to play um, Busy Body, this like exercise queen girl. But instead I got the part of the lungs because, you know, I could barely speak English and they were like, I don't know if you're going to memorize all the lines. And I was like, fine. And I still remember my lines. The song went, Pinocchio, don't smoke that cigarette. And I went, no, no, no. (laughs) And I was wearing this little green gap dress. I still remember it. And I had a little thing around my neck that said lungs. They really went all out for the production. Right. I miss doing plays. I, I realized the other day when we were rehearsing for A Jade is a Jade, which is the, the musical hour, how much I love collaborating with people and feeling other people's energy and singing along to a band. It does not get any better. Our band is incredible. Dan Gross is leading it. He just did um, Drunk History. He was also on this podcast. I forget which episode. Early on. He was one of our first guests 
And then we got Quinn Carson playing the trombone and percussion. You guys, I'm sorry. If you haven't sang along to a trombone behind you, I advise it. It feels right. And then we have David Eli on the drums, who's just this fucking rad dude. Eric Groisman playing the bass. He had us over to his little studio. That's a dream, man. I will do anything it takes to have a little house with a little back studio so we could do the podcast the right way. And yeah, music has just been with me always, but I've just never been confident enough to do it fully and to like commit to it. It's always been like, oh, I'll improvise a song. And, you know, I got to do a shout out to Jeff Scott. Rest in peace, man. He was the piano player at the comedy store. And, you know, he'd be like, let's do it. Let's, let's play. Who cares? Just, just sing your songs. Just see what happens. And forever I do a little bit and then I come out of it and then I would do a little bit more and come out of it. And then finally now I'm just like, this is what I'm doing. And I don't give a fuck if people don't like it. No, I'm just kidding. I I really care, but it just feels right. That was my first play I was ever in Pinocchio. Don't smoke that cigarette. And then later I ended up selling cigarettes because I was older than everybody because they made me hold back a year. Oh, this is what happens. This is what I want to talk about. You know, kind of the, um, a little bit of the immigrant experience that nobody ever talks about is like when I moved from Brazil, I was halfway through, or I was all the way through the, the school year. I had finished the school year. I was like, I'm done with fourth grade, fifth grade, here I come, you know? And when we landed in America, they were halfway through the year. So I naturally was like, let's go halfway through fifth grade. We're done. Let's go. This is my, my right age. I'll be with all the kids my same age. But they were like, "Uh, no, you don't speak English. All right, sweetheart. You have to go back to like, to finish the half of fourth grade that you haven't done. And they were right. I mean, I barely spoke English. I was just in class, like drawing all the time and kind of observing people. There was this kid in my class, this Asian kid, and he had a rat tail. I forgot his name. I want to say it was Mickey. But she, he was just like a smart ass and he got everything right. And I'm always like, and I always felt like weirdly competitive with him. Even though I didn't even speak the language, all I could do was really draw during class. But I was like, fucking Mickey's always raising his hand one day, one day. And it's like this weird thing that I've always felt like a half year behind. I've always felt like a, a little bit of a feeling like I'm behind. And I think that's a little bit of the trauma, you know, but uh, no more. I'm like, I'm just making my own shit and I'm putting it out and it feels so good you guys and I feel like you guys have been receiving it really well Phoenix was awesome everybody was real sweet I didn't die from the heat pretty sure I burnt Cheryl's bottoms of her paws off but what are you gonna do I've been just trying to keep afloat with all the stuff that's happening and I don't know if you guys saw any of this stuff but the Britney Spears stuff is fucking insane let me just set up the photo the picture if you will for you guys who haven't uh, been a part of the drama but Britney Spears is in a, is a in a conservatorship with her father I don't know what his name is something Spears so he's just some like southern guy um, but she's, he's in a conservatorship, which means he controls all her money and basically controls her. And, um, a couple of my friends, uh, Tess Barker and Barbara, they started a podcast called free Britney. And, um, you know, at first, you know, it felt a little bit of like a joke, a little bit like, oh, are they really doing this? Like, is this really a real thing? Oh, Barbara Gray, by the way, that's her last name. And then slowly it started to feel just from seeing Britney's videos, you know, like 
maybe she's not very well. Like, and I remember seeing her do Jimmy Kimmel live. I remember when Don Barris was the opener, like was the warm up guy for him. And I went to see Brittany and I was so excited, you know, and I had seen her when I was like a kid and she was like, just had just come out with hit me baby one more time. And I remember being like, Oh my God, one day I'll be able to dance like her. You know, I was just like, I, I completely idolized her. And then I saw her do this performance in Hollywood and it was like, this weird person, it felt like someone who was taking a nap and then being like weirdly controlled, like a puppet, like to do a dance. Like she was barely moving. Her eyes were really glossed over. I was really close to the stage. I could like almost smell her. I was just like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, is she drugged? It was just this bizarre experience and it kind of always stayed with me. And, and then as this free Britney stuff started to happen, I was like, oh my God, something's fucking happening. It, 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 I, I couldn't tell if it was like a mental illness. And finally, you know, they've been fighting for her to speak up and finally say something in court. And she finally did it. Fuck. Yes, Brittany, you finally did it. I don't know if you guys saw any of it, but she basically, you know, basically said she was a prisoner for the last 13 years. She can't leave her house with her boyfriend. Can't have a baby with him. They put in an IUD that they won't let her take out. I have goosebumps. It makes me feel emotional. It makes me want to cry when I say this because it's like, she's the one doing all the work. Yeah, there's managerial work and incredible agents behind her and stuff like that. But she's the one putting her heart there out there and her sweat. And, you know, and they were going, oh, no, she's not she's not well enough. But guess what? She is well enough. She's teaching the choreographers the dances. She knows the choreography. You think that she can't make decisions with her money, but yet she can learn like multiple counts of eights? No, thanks. She also said that they were giving her lithium and keeping her drugged. And it's just disgusting. You know, we, we look at this industry like, oh, I can't wait to make it. You know, I can't wait to make it. But when you're kind of in a position of power and you're being and you're successful and you're bringing in money, a lot of people, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and kind of this business, it's, you, you kind of lose handle of it. You know, there's been multiple times where I've been in situations where I thought, oh, finally, I'll get to be myself. And I didn't get to do that. They, you know, they had to tell me what to wear, what to say, all that stuff. And I can't imagine what she's been through. And I, I just really feel for her. And I'm so excited that she finally has the power within her to, like, say something out loud. Jesus, can you imagine? She's like, I just wanted to sing and dance. And she's like, then this weird Britney prison. Can you imagine your dad is like feeding you lithium and telling you like you can't have a baby with your boyfriend. And yet I control all your money, all the millions and millions that you make. No, thank you, dude. Oh, my God. I would fucking go nuts. I have a little bit of a problem with authority. Like I like I don't like getting yelled at. Like I hate getting reprimanded. That's my biggest thing. Like I hate getting yelled at. I turn into like a tiny little bug. But. Like anytime somebody's like, you can't do that. There is a little part of me that's like, why not? I want to do that now. I want to do that because you told me that I couldn't. What are you saying? I can't do it. I want to do it more. <sighs> oh, guys, how's everybody doing with the reopen? How really, honestly, people are excited, but guess what's back that we don't like? Traffic, dudes. Traffic is back. You can feel it. And there's like accidents everywhere. People already were shitty drivers before the pandemic. Can you imagine how shitty of a driver? Can you imagine 
How shitty of a driver they are now. By the way, doing this podcast has made me realize that I can barely speak. I can barely talk as a human being. Like I hear myself and I'm just like, this is the way I sound all the time. I wonder why we as humans hate our own voices. Like, what is that? There should be a study about it. I should look up a study about like, why do people hate their own voice so much? And yet I hear other people's voices and I'm like, mm, butter. I'm in my closet. And if you came in here, wow, I, you would be really, you would be overwhelmed. My friend, Sam McCurdy, the artist who painted me the other day, came into my closet and was like, girl, you have too many prints. And to that I say, and no, I don't. I love prints. I love clothes. I, for a long time, I felt like liking clothes and liking makeup and all that stuff kind of, I don't know, made me, I don't know what it was. I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't own the things I liked for a long time. Music being one of them, I couldn't do it. I felt very suppressed by the brohood of comics around me. And I know that sounds like, oh, is that, was it so hard getting to be a part of the bros club? But yeah, I think it did kind of fuck me up. I think I'm just coming out of it finally and being like, God, I wanted to fit in so bad. I kind of didn't know who I was until now. And people are starting to do comedy younger and younger now. And I'm like, how do we even know you're like, I feel like the Gen Z generation knows themselves so well. You know, they don't, they don't take that shit. They don't take, they don't take microaggressions. They don't take, you know, racism. They don't take misogyny in the same way that we did. We're like, well, our grandmothers and our mothers swallowed their pride through this. So I should be able to, too. But enough is enough. I don't even know where I'm going with this one today, you guys. I'm, I, I'm back from the road. You know, um, I'm going to have my first weekend to myself. It's going to be weird. There's a lot of local shows opening up. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for all this. There was a new um, Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on last night. I watched it. I can't stand commercials anymore. I don't even have the attention span to sit. Like I get anxiety from sitting through commercials. I'm like, who do I have to pay? Who do I have to suck to not have to watch a commercial? I would suck dicks to not have to watch commercials. Anybody else with me? I'm not talking about like some dirty dick somewhere, like a homeless person's dick, but like an executive's dick. I'll suck an executive's dick. So I don't have to watch commercials anymore. Can we do that? It makes me crazy. I can't fucking stand them anymore. And it's not even commercials for stuff I want. I'm like, can we target? Can, is my Google Home not listening to me? Can we get more commercials about vitamins and yoga and stuff and less commercials about like depression medicine? Oh, wait, <laughs> they are listening. They're correct. <laughs> Do you ever sit at home and watch commercials and go, oh my God, wait, are these targeted towards me? But then it's all for like IBS and all this other shit. I have the worst acid reflux. I tell you guys this all the time, but it's actually finally going away because I'm back at acupuncture. I go to this really incredible acupuncturist here in LA recommended by Steve AG. Shout out to you, dude. And I cannot handle my life without acupuncture, bros. And people are like, ew, needles in your body. I'm like, yeah, I kind of like it. I think I need the pain. I think I need to feel a little bit of pain to relax. Like when I go to bed at night, and I'm just comfortable. My brain is like, it's work time. You should be typing emails. But when I have those little needles in my body and I'm like, oh, I can't move. I have to hold really still or else they hurt. It puts me into this place where I can really relax. Which seems masochistic. Seems kind of like not great, but that's what we're doing. 
Do you guys ever feel bad when you don't wear an outfit? Like, do you feel like, oh man, I'll wear you another time? <laughs> I'm so overly empathetic that I give everybody a feeling. Like I give feelings to everything. Imagine like my dog all the time. I'm like, oh no, I'll stay home just for you. You need it. I hear it. You need it. Like even my plants, I can feel them. Like when they need water, not only because they look dry and they're like dying, sometimes they'll never get there. But like there are times when I walk through and I'll literally feel my plants going like, I need water. Does anybody else feel like that? Am I an insane fucking person just in my closet doing this podcast that people are like, what the fuck are you saying? Remember when R. Kelly came out with that closet stuff? And we were like, yeah, life imitates art, but we love this anyway. It's like all these creepy dudes are, have been making art that tell us that they're creepy. Like, not that I think that everything that happened to Louis CK was fully justified, but like, even in his comedy, he was like, this is the way I am, you know? And like, look at Woody Allen. He made movies about like dating younger women and how these younger women were obsessed with him. And he's like, I, 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 I don't know what to do. They want to sleep with me. What am I going to do? You know? And yet we're like, yeah, this is great. It's not real. It's just art. But it's not. It's exactly what he was doing. Like R. Kelly, like, I mean, obviously he didn't have any like songs about peeing on women. Actually, I think he might have. I think he might have a song that's like about golden showers. What gets you there? What gets people to want to pee and poop on each other? I'm not going to. That's the only thing I won't do it. Watch one day somebody uh, somebody will pee on me by accident. I'll be like, never mind. I'm actually into it. You know what? This changed my mind. I'm actually into it. Speaking of um, OCD and peeing, by the way, like I'm the I'm the cleanest freak ever. Like I, I'm such a crazy clean freak about everything. But there's one thing that's disgusting that I do that I don't even care that I don't even think is that disgusting. To be honest, I fully pee in the shower. I have penis envy. I talk about this all the time. Like I just have this recurring dream that I am like at a party and I'll be like, Hey guys, I'll be right back. And I go around the corner and I unzip my cute little high-waisted pants and then I pull out my clit and then I pee. And then it, there's not pee all over my pants. You know, I mean, like I can pee standing up. I just won't do it because of the, and then there's all these weird like lady instruments that, you know, they have developed so we can pee now like men there's like, I forget the names. I should look them up. I should look them up just to put them here. Just so you guys, just in case you guys are looking, you know, um, just in case you guys need this for a camping trip, I'm just going pee for women and seeing what comes up. Um, but there's all these apparatuses, but none of them are really the right thing. You know what I mean? There should be a movie. I think there is a movie about this. Pamela Adlon is actually in it about a little girl who wakes up and she has a penis and she's like, whoa, I have a penis. But I want to do a movie about like a couple and the girl like starts to have, you know, like some discomfort on her vagina. So she goes to the gynecologist and she's like, something's going on. And the woman's like, take this, you know, and then from that medication, she slowly starts to grow a penis. And then it's about like, you know, how the dynamic changes in the relationship. Like, does the guy still even love you now that you have a penis? Like, how does your life change? And then, you know, maybe she gets more confident at work now because she's got a dick. Who knows? Oh, okay. So this is the peeing apparatuses for women. You can get an, a Go Girl LC. By the way, I hate how men make these products and then name them like an Go Girl. Like, come on. No way a woman made this. Girl urinals, 
pitch and trek. That's great. I like that. Pitch and trek is a lot more, you know, for both Ella P women's urinal funnel. The go girl is really the most popular one. Oh my God. There's an emergency urination thing. I have to admit the picture is like kind of hot. I might post it. <laughs> it's like a girl, like with this kind of apparatus. I've never had to pee so bad that I'm like, Oh, I better grab the, my pee app, my emergency pee apparatus that I keep in the car. There's a thing called the travel Jane, which is great. Wow. There are so many, there are so many apparatuses. I had no idea. I, I stand corrected, you guys. We can do it all. We can pee standing up at parties and not feel like we have to pop a squat. Look, I don't mind popping a squat. It's just the aftermath of it. Like, I just don't like not wiping. That's my problem. And they've come up with other. Oh, there's one called the Tinkle Bell. Wow. Slow clap for that. Can we just add a slow clap here? Ooh, the Tinkle Bell. Listen up, ladies. Did you ever want to pee at a party, but you couldn't? Well, ask Tinkle for a little help. And then like a little fairy comes out and she's like, hi, I'm the Tinkle Bell. You can use me and you can pee outside. I guess I'll stick to comedy and not making ads, but <laughs> there's a pee buddy as well. There's an easy peasy. Jesus, this is an oversaturated market if I've ever seen it. There are too many pee apparatuses. I didn't think there was any, and now there's too many. Oh, there's one called the Shiwi. Wow, there's an article out here. It's called The Shiwi Revolution, How 2020 Has Changed Urination. What if I just read this article and that was my whole podcast? I don't know. I think, you know, times are, times are changing. Times are changing. There's not so much of a woman, man thing anymore. And I think the fluidity of gender is going to be what saves us all. I honestly think, I think there's so much things that hold us back from like just being categorized like woman. And you look back on stuff. I mean, and we've come so far. We didn't even notice because it was happening while we were kind of growing up. Like my generation, I just watched the documentary about the wrestler China and it was heartbreaking. One of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it's on Vice. Vice does a lot of really great gritty documentaries. And basically what happened is, you know, I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this because I was like not a huge wrestling fan, but my boyfriend um, is a huge wrestling fan. So he told me the whole backstory. So China basically grows up. I know her name's Joni. Her real name is Joni. And she feels like, you know, she's masculine. She doesn't look like the other girls. And especially at that time in the 80s and 90s, there was no space for women who weren't like these dainty little like, mm, you know. And so she already feels out like an outcast and she wants to be an actress. And then she slowly figures out that she loves wrestling and she loves bodybuilding. And she gets her body to this point that is just like, oh, oh my, she's just a goddess. Like she's got this incredible body. Like, I mean, her presence and she's tan and she's got this kind of wide, kind of masculine jawline, you know, so she's insecure about that. But she gets into wrestling. The WWE picks her up as one of the main players and she starts fighting with Triple H who like at the time is this other huge fucking wrestler, right? And they, they, 
become part of this group. And I didn't know this, but they're the ones who invented like, suck it. <laughs> remember when that was like such a bad word to say as a kid, like you can say this sucks. Like I remember my, my teachers being like, you can't say suck. And I'm like, why? Like, I didn't even understand that it was like a blowjob kind of reference, but I was like, suck it. I want to say it. But anyway, triple H is the guy like who came up with like, suck it wrestling there's so much stuff that came from wrestling that I had no idea about now I'm like an I'm like an older fan of wrestling now you know like I'm just getting into it anyway China and Triple H are together in this relationship and you know she loves him he loves her and you know oftentimes people question him like why out of all the girls he's with this girl who isn't this perfect little fucking model bitch he's with this woman who's like a little more masculine and I'm sure that started to wear on her and that was difficult for her people questioning why the person that loves you loves you like fuck off you don't know what goes on between us but I would like to see them in bed together like back in the day when they were like at their top tip top shape and they're just fucking wrestling fucking each other like slamming each other down like I'm coming oh, slam body come you know so that would be fun so they're dating they're the most popular wrestlers like at the time I don't know if you guys remember if you're my age but China was fucking huge literally and figuratively she was everywhere I mean she was, you know, the most popular female wrestler, as far as I knew. And then she wins a title and, you know, they start working with uh, Vince McMahon's daughter, whose name I can't remember. But, you know, China could feel that there was a little bit of tension or a little bit of flirtation between Triple H and the daughter and the boss's daughter, you know, and he started to spend more time with her and they started to do an act together as well. I want to say her name is Stephanie. Yeah, her name's Stephanie. I'll go with that just because that name seems right. So Stephanie and Triple H are spending all this time together. And China's trying to be cool, you know? She's like, hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. I trust you. I love you. You're hanging out with the boss's daughter. Whatever. It finally comes out that he's cheating on her. And that he's been sleeping with the boss's daughter, Stephanie, while they're working together for like a year. Isn't that fucking insane? I mean, cheating in itself is so fucked up, but also like you're fucking the boss's daughter now and it leaves no room for China to still be in this business. I mean, you basically chose this life for her. You ostracized her out of this business. What a piece of shit. And I don't know the tail ends. I don't know the details, but like if you're in a relationship and you're unhappy and you want to be with somebody else, Get the fuck out of the relationship. It's so cowardly when people cheat. Like, I understand maybe something happening once and then you telling the person and working it out. But like a year long affair behind somebody's back, is it, there's just nothing more devastating and more cowardly in my mind. Like, it's so fucked up. It's just so disgusting, you know? So then, of course, China decides to not work for WWE anymore. I mean, I'm sure partly because of the whole thing with this affair and being heartbroken, you know, and in the documentary, they were saying that this happens a lot. Like once WWE is done with you, they fucking kind of erase you and you become like the sort of ghost, you know, and things just went downhill from there. I mean, she, 
you know, started to get on drugs. I mean, she's, you know, on a lot of muscle relaxers and stuff because of the pain of wrestling. I mean, it's what they do is so physically demanding. I mean, I'm exhausted from stand up and I'm just like standing for an hour holding a mic. And I'm like, oh, my back. If I tell one more joke tonight, my back is going to give out. Very physically demanding to be a wrestler, very mentally demanding job. You have to be very aware and you have you have to trust the person that you're wrestling with so intensely and trust being the key word, the key word here that was completely broken. I mean, this, this guy not only broke her trust in the ring, but he broke her trust in life. Double trust break. Not good. So then, you know, he goes on to fucking be with this lady, Stephanie, the boss's daughter. And China is just getting into a deeper and deeper hole. You know, she's trying to get other wrestling things. She's doing the simple life where she's like wasted and everyone's making fun of her and, you know, she's not getting any jobs. And so she eventually decides to do porn, which was kind of a crazy thing, but she was just like, I don't give a fuck anymore. And, you know, I think it's fucked up because we give sex workers such a hard time, right? We're like, oh, they shouldn't, you know, it's like once they do that, like, I don't want my children to see it. Or, I, you know, it's, oh, it's so looked down upon. But guess what? Some of these women, they have no other choice and they choose to do that. And look at the men, look at men. They sell men who sell drugs, commit crimes. Why is that less of a thing than being a sex worker? Why is it's your body? I can choose whatever the fuck I want to do with my body in order to survive. And I just think it's like, I think we need to change the way we look at sex workers. And if they decide that's what they want to do, I think that there should be more laws that protect them and that we should make it more available. I mean, it's a trade. Sex doesn't have to be love. I think there would be less incels killing people and less women getting murdered in, you know, under a bridge, if there was a little more organization in the sex work department. Is this crazy? I don't know if I'm just kind of like in my closet going wild here at this point now, but I just think it's fucked up, you know, like I, I wish I knew the numbers, but I'm sure a lot of strippers and a lot of, and a, a lot of, uh, prostitutes are murdered every year. Just, they become disposable. Why? Because they chose to survive. That's the only way they knew how to survive. I don't think it's right. I don't, I, I don't. And then it ring, you know, it leads to all this other shit. But anyway, coming back to China. So she does porn. She finally, you know, hits a total low bottom and decides she wants to go off to Japan and she goes off to Japan and becomes, uh, an English teacher. Cause she just wants to escape everything. I mean, you know, Oh, and I forget this too. Like as she's crumbling down, she gets all these surgeries, right? Because she's very insecure about the way that she looks, how, like how wide her jaw is and how muscular she is. So she gets all this plastic surgery on her face and they show this little interview of her on Howard Stern. And he's like, so you didn't do this to look like a more like a woman. And she's like, no, no, no. And it's just so bizarre that they're doing these interviews that are like so aggressive. Like you look back on all these interviews now, you know, with like Jay Leno, like asking Lindsay Lohan, like who her boyfriend is when she's like 16. And, and then there's a Larry David or Larry David. Is it Larry David? Oh my God. Larry. Yeah. Larry David. Um, or I'm sorry, Larry King. Jesus, I'm mixing up Jews here. Um, Larry King interview. And she says something about strength. And Larry King goes, well, strength is a masculine word, is a word for males, you know. And she changed that. She changed that. And 
And because she gave her whole heart and soul to this industry, we sucked it right out. We sucked her dry. And then she, you know, she's in Japan and, and it's time for her to get put into the, uh, the hall of fame, the wrestling hall of fame, WWE hall of fame. And they showed this interview in the, in the documentary where triple H is talking to some other wrestling dude and they're discussing it, whether she should be put into the hall of fame or not, which obviously, obviously she should be in the hall of fame. She's the most successful woman wrestler at that time. She changed boundaries. I mean, she, I, it makes me emotional. I'm almost crying saying this stuff, but she was the first of her kind no, she opened the doors to so many women before her. Women were just these, you know, these side characters they were like miss blah 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 or like you know and she came in and was like no i want to wrestle with the men and you know after the triple h stuff happened they were just putting her against these female wrestlers who were not as experienced as her and it was a total digression because her husband cheated on her now she's getting now she's getting fucking demoted she didn't do anything so they're discussing whether she should be put into the Hall of Fame. And Triple H, the person who cheated on her and ruined her fucking life, has the nerve to then go, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I want her in the Hall of Fame because, you know, I don't want my child, P.S., child that he had with the woman he cheated on her with for a year. I don't want my child to to see that she's the Hall of Fame in the Hall of Fame and then I see he searches her and he sees that she's done porn. Are you kidding me? And a great point they made on the documentary was like, do you know how many felons there are in the Hall of Fame and men who have beat women and men who have been aggressive and who have done horrible other things? She didn't hurt anybody when she made porn. In fact, she helped people. People were coming. That's what she felt she had to do. Why should all her hard work be taken away because some fucking man decided he didn't want her anymore and he threw her away. So now he has to continuously put her down on top of everything he's already done to her. What a piece of fucking shit. What a piece of shit. So then she goes to Japan and disappears And she's got this manager who I don't know about the manager either. He seems kind of like a fucking crook in the documentary. I don't know who, who he is, but he seems like he was maybe doing drugs with her. And anyway, they, they decide that they're going to do a a documentary called recovering China and they bring her back from Japan. And all this footage is from this documentary that I'm now talking about. Sorry. It's kind of confusing. So they bring her back to the States and she just unwinds again. And, you know, like weeks after starting this documentary, she, she accidentally overdoses on pain medications and she dies. And the guy who was directing the documentary was also a a drug addict and, um, you know, he basically just let her die. She she was asking for help. They, They showed this one last interview where she's just all over the place. You know, she's like doing her laundry and she's like all discombobulated and she's like, I need help. And she keeps saying, I need help. It's just upsetting to me because sometimes I feel like this industry, 
just has one focus and it's to make money and it's to make money off people. But the people that get into the industry are in it because they love doing what they do. They love being creative and they love making people feel good. And in doing that, they completely get drained out. And I, I just think it has to change. I mean, we have to be more protected. I mean, look at comics, you know, there's no union for comedians as annoying as it is to like have HR in your company and, you know, not be able to say certain things to people or do certain things like, you know, that we need that. There's no protection of these little like microaggressions against especially females in comedy. And then you look back at like, you know, all the crazy wrestling and how like misogynistic they were. And I know they're playing characters, but even the rock, you know, like not that the rock would ever get canceled. Like he's, I'm sure a great guy. He seems like a great guy. I would love to have him over for dinner sometime. Dwayne, if you're available, honestly, put on that fanny pack and come over to my house. But lately I just been feeling, uh, the abuse of the industry a bit, you know, cause ultimately it's like, they don't care. They don't care if you don't sell tickets. They don't care. They don't care if you don't make them money. Nobody's ever going to pat you in the back and go, Hey, you're doing a great job. You kind of have to f- figure that out for yourself, you know? And that's the hardest part for me. I'm in, in, in constant need of validation from something, from someone. And slowly but surely I'm figuring that, I'm figuring out that that comes from within me and having to have my own strength because I sure as fuck don't want to die like China or don't want to be in a weird situation like Brittany. And that's just two people's stories out of the thousands and thousands of people who I'm sure have been fucking destroyed by this fucking industry. I can't wait to see like Lindsay Lohan's documentary. Like, cause even seeing Paris Hilton's documentary, you start to see a little bit of her trauma and why she does what she does. And I think that's so interesting. I am, I'm in the process of pitching a documentary that I shot, um, called foreign also about kind of just my experience and feeling like I'm stuck in this gray zone, you know, as an immigrant. Wow. I feel like I'm very complaining, but I don't care. I'm opening up. I don't care. This is my only way that I get to do this. So I'm doing it. Nancy, my therapist is just too busy. Honestly, she has no time for me. (laughs) Um, yeah, the documentary is about, um, feeling stuck in the gray zone, like not feeling American enough, not feeling Brazilian enough. And then, and how comedy kind of helped me find myself. And, you know, for a long time, I was like kind of embarrassed about moving from Brazil. Not like, that's a weird way to put it. Like, not that I was embarrassed about being Brazilian. I never was. I'm very proud of it, but I was embarrassed that the experience of moving was so traumatic for me. Like I was embarrassed to explain how much it affected me and how much it shaped me and how much I never felt like I had ownership of that. And, and it's so exciting. Like I, I'm finally in a place where I'm like owning my, uh, my, all, all my parts, like the female part, the immigrant part, the vulnerable part, the funny part, the sexy part, sometimes the gross part, the sad parts, you know, all the all the little parts of me, I, I don't care anymore. I own them. Like, and I've never felt like more in a place to be someone to tell 
people about my experience, you know, and like, there's no representation of Brazilian people in the media. Think about it. Like, okay, take a second. Tell me one Brazilian celebrity besides Pele and Ayrton Senna or Shusha. Go. Yeah, that's what I thought. People don't, there's no Brazilian representation. Oh, Anita is like another big person that people use, but yeah, I'm ready to like represent. This is why, you know, I never understood why people felt so passionate about their thing. And now I'm like, oh my God, I finally understand. Like I want to see people like me on TV. There needs to be more representation. I grew up worshiping Shusha, who was this like blonde woman she didn't look like me. I never felt like I was quite, you know, quite right physically because I didn't look like her. And there, and on, on TV, like, you know, in novellas, of course, there was people who look like me, but never really in comedy until I saw Sarah. And it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to get to be that person. I remember the feeling I had when I saw Margaret show for the first time. I remember the feeling I had. And I, I want, I want a little girl to watch my stuff and have that same feeling. I'm getting really emotional. I don't know why this is an emotional episode. You guys, I guess it's just me crying for 45 minutes. I don't know. Maybe people can relate, you know, and I know that we all feel alone and that we all feel these things and it's just not the part that we share. And people who share it, it's like, come on, take it easy now. We're all, take it easy. It's too much. Like I get kind of uncomfortable when people are too emotional on Instagram. And yet here I am crying into my pink mic. As I look up, I see that old cum game that I bought. I don't know if you guys saw this online, but there was like, there's this game. It's like basically two plastic penises that you jack off until one of them comes into the other person's face. It's a British game. It's called cum face because, you know, why not? And it barely works. I was really disappointed. I spent like 60 bucks on it because the shipping was like coming from the UK. And now it just sits in my closet. And I'm sure every time my maid cleans my closet, she's like, what is this? What is this? Oh my gosh. I feel like emotionally drained from talking about all this stuff, but I think it's important that we talk about it. I think it's important that it changes. I think that oh man, poor China. I can't get over the China stuff. I, I, I watched it like just hysterically crying. Just anytime like women break barriers that I feel like I was too weak to do on my own. I just feel so proud you know, I think that's what it is. I think that's what's changed inside of me for a long time. I just wanted to fit in and be American and I don't want to be American anymore. I want to be whatever the fuck I am, Brazilian American. And for a long time, I was so ashamed to not be a guy and to not get the same opportunities as the guys were getting. And I don't care anymore. I just want to make my own opportunities. And I'm, I'm really proud to be a woman. I'm really proud. I'm proud that I can't pee standing up <laughs> and I'm proud that when I shake, it's just still wet. And then I'm like, come on, CVS receipt. I need you. When I tell that joke, I can see people's disgusting faces. Like what? I'm like, it's a long, you get a long CVS receipt so you can use part of it to wipe and then part for savings. <laughs> 
Ugh, are there any closet organizers out there? I need you. I also reached out to Emerson today for my um, Emerson alumni. I don't know if any Emerson people listen to this, but hell yeah. I'm very, very proud to have gone to Emerson. Um, and this just came out with a, with like a stand up comedy edition of their expressions magazine, which is like the alumni magazine. And I'm in it. And it's like Jay Leno and Bill Burr and Eliza Schlesinger and Jennifer Coolidge, David Cross. And uh, just to be a part of that made me feel so proud. But anyway, if you're an Emerson person and you're doing the LA program, I am looking for interns. Um, there is now a stand up um, BA that you can get. You can major in stand up, which, you know, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm going to give it a chance. But I know that when I came out to LA and did this like, LA Emerson program. I got an internship at a casting office, which was great, but I would have loved to be working with a, with a comic directly just to know what their life is like. And, you know, I don't have a lot of female mentors in my life. Um, and I, I want to work with more women. And so if you're an Emerson person and you're out here and you're looking for an internship, hit me up. Or if you're just a lady trying to get into comedy and you want to help out with the podcast, honestly, I need help. I need help. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this very roller coastery of emotions episode. Honestly, I, um, I have a couple new Patreons. I want to open it up so I can thank them. And you guys, thank you again. If you're one of my Patreons, honestly, it's like, I can't even believe that it, this is going and that, that you guys are doing it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, so I just want to shout out to Sophia, who's my new Patreon. I see you, Sophia. Thank you. I'm going to go down. And I'm going to do all the Patreons again, because I feel like I feel like I say that I'm going to shout you out and then I don't. And then I'm like, hey, I'm a piece of shit. But um, after I film this musical on July 1st, I promise you guys video is going to be coming back up and um, it's going to be a fucking party. All right, here we go down the line. My baby patrons, I love you so much. Sophia, hell yeah, I see you. I love the female power. I don't know if you identify as female, but hell yeah. Chris Brandt, another podcast network. Shout out to you guys. Give it up for Jeff. Get a, give it up for Sideline Star, Sam. I will have Jen Stark on the podcast one day. I promise you, I'm such a huge fan of hers. I own like everything that I could own in my budget from her. But if you're friends with her, shout it out to her and let's see if we can get her on. G Collins, Zach Childs, I love you, buddy. Dub, Joe Sigali, Ace Poet, and then Matt Zofchak. I want to say that I got it right this, this time. What is your origin? Let me know. Zofchak. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it off with uh, one of my songs from rehearsal from the musical. So you guys can hear it on here. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And thank you for being here for me. I need you. I love you. You've been jaded. Ladies and gentlemen, Jade Cataprata.
show people my next camera tone. Look at it. Look at it while I look at you looking at it. Look at it. Carl looking at me. Yeah, you're like that. Yeah. My lips are the only thing that I like separate but equal. You know, everything else I just want us to be one big lip. One big lip all together. So many beautiful couples in the audience tonight. Are you guys together? Oh, that's great. Well, enjoy that. Everything ends. <laughs> I'm kidding, you guys. Uh, we're dating. And I have a totally healthy relationship with him. 